You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Now, today's episode is a little bit different. Usually podcasts wait a couple of months or 100 episodes or something before they bring back a guest for a second round. But I want to do today as a part two. Yesterday, we talked to Eric Griffin, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Mobile Outfitters, a five-time Inc. 5000 mobile accessory company. It was a great interview. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, by all means, go download it and listen to it either before or after this one. Or of course, you can watch the video on my YouTube channel. But During the debrief, as we were talking about this mobile accessory company, somehow he just managed to slide in that in the wake of COVID-19 and all the changes in the world economy, he's made this massive pivot. Of course, in this world of social distancing and and the economic effects that it's had, we're really in a, a scenario that is rather Darwinistic. It's social and economic Darwinism, survival of the fittest. So many businesses are closing. So many people are being furloughed, being laid off, and it's really scary. But in that sense of what are you going to do to reinvent yourself now to survive or to thrive, or for that matter, even if you haven't had to do it yet, it may be very imminent. And whether it's your company or you're an employee for somebody else, there's a good chance that, you know, we hate to say it, but you may be soon looking for what's next. Again, that's scary, but he's done it. And it's not just that he's done it. He went from creating these mobile accessories for the telephone to a huge paradigm shift of manufacturing and delivering face masks and face shields. I mean, of all things, talk about need. There's phenomenal demand and not a lot of supply. So that was clear. But who would think like, okay, I make pizzas. I think I'll now go manufacture furniture. Like it's so huge that I thought we need to talk about this because most people who are thinking about and making pivots like restaurants, okay, they're making small pivots from dine-in to takeout and delivery only. Okay, that's smart. That's, That's evolving. But this is not an evolution. Eric, you made a revolution in your business. It was fast. It was massive. And it's really inspiring because I'm sure it's not that you were fearless, right? The whole point of courage is that you feel the fear and you do it anyway. And to me, that's what makes your story most inspiring. So I'm going to stop talking myself and welcome once again, Eric Griffin, co-founder of Mobile Outfitters. Please join us again. Thank you so much for being my guest day two. Of course. Thanks for having me, Laura. So tell me, oh my gosh, Talk to me about the thought process. Where did you go from saying, well, let's see, right now I make mobile accessory devices. I think we'll make face shields instead. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, you know, it sounds weird. You know, if I go back to the moment, we had a little bit of a time machine because we sell a lot of stuff in Italy and Italy got hit first. And before anyone here knew what was going to happen, we already saw it develop in Italy. And all the signs were there that our core business just 
was going to go to zero. There's some businesses that are affected a little bit. We're not one of them. We're one of the businesses that are going to get affected a lot. And so while it pains me to shift, because I think entrepreneurs are kind of plagued with, you know, being a squirrel and like jumping from thing to thing. And that's not a good idea. You'll never see success if you don't go really deep on something. There's also those signs. You don't want to have your blinders on and just say, you know, this is going to blow over. Everything's going to be fine. If every data point you have is telling you it's not. So we were in that situation at a brick wall. And the only thing you can do is, is turn. And we looked at what are the things we're good at? You know, like our team, what can they do? What are the things we can do other people can't do? And a few things came together. We realized we have an employee in China on the ground who can do sourcing because we do that for our core business. We have employees on hand that can import things and get them through customs because we do that for our core business. We know how to build a sales channel. Albeit this is a different one. We've built sales channels our whole careers. And so we feel confident we know how to do that. And we knew people in industries like medical supply and you know, basically every person, every company is your customer for personal protection equipment right now because we all need to wear face masks and every business with employees needs to have them protected. So there's just a huge market and we knew people that knew people. And we said, you know, this is a market that as our business is down, this will be up. And perhaps this will go down, but if that's going down, our core business should be coming back. So they're kind of work in inverse and it's a good thing to explore. And that's how we started. We just kind of put our toes in the pool from there. And what was the time frame between the first initial thought of, gee, there seems to be a lack of face masks out there. So let's look at possibly making them to the point where you actually had sales and removing product. It was probably two weeks from my partner, Dennis, brought up the initial idea of, look, our business will be down. At that point, it was probably down 50%, but we were coming to grips that it would be zero very quickly. And he saw the potential need for the face masks, started doing sourcing, understanding regulation. You know, What does it even mean to sell these things? Do you need to be FDA certified? What do you need to import it? Who can you sell it to? What can you claim? There's all that learning. So that all probably took about two weeks until we said, okay, let's pull the trigger and bring in our initial shipment was 10,000 pieces of the face mask. We, we produced the face shield, we import the face mask. So we bought 10,000 face masks and said, let's start with a sample. You know, let's fire a bullet. We're not going to fire the cannonball right away. We're going to fire a couple bullets, see if we're onto something, and then we'll go from there. It's amazing that that whole thing happened in two weeks. So this is not a slow evolution. This is not a let's do lots of analyses and talk to a lot of people. And it was, yes, there was research. Yes, there was due diligence to an extent. But at a certain point, it was just like, we need to make a decision, pull the trigger and either do it or don't. But no as Miyagi-san said, there is do or do not, but there is no try. It's, it's it's all or nothing. Yeah, I think you never have all the information and you'll drive yourself crazy if you try and get all the information before you do anything. And doing teaches you information you can't think of before you do. So at some point, you got to take a step. And we had no idea if we could sell it. I think a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake of figuring out if they can make it. And then once they figure that out, they then try and figure out if they can sell it. And they haven't even made it yet. And I just don't think you're ever going to get the real answer from people if they'll buy something until it's time to buy it and they're pulling their wallet out. So we had no idea if we could sell it, but we knew we could import it and we understood what it took to do all that. And that's when we made our decision. Okay, we mostly understand it. We have no idea if it'll sell, but we know we can get it. 
we feel we can sell it. So let's just give it a try. And then we decided. Although it seems like with this particular product, given the, the climate of today, that but compared to other products, perhaps compared to even mobile accessories, you would think that I would have guessed that you would have more confidence that there would be a market for this product compared to other yeah. things. The signs were there. The question was, you know, are we the company people are going to buy from or do we not know what we're doing or not have the right contacts or, or price? But we figured, you know, we'll find out the hard way. We'll just do it and we'll see what happens. And supply and demand being what it was, you were definitely in the right place at the right time uh, with that leap. It seems like now everybody must be just clamoring for every piece of inventory as fast as you can make it and, and import it. Am I, am I off on that? Demand has been very strong. We are importing more and more. We've got about half a million coming in on Friday. So that's our biggest order to date. And so I do think we're here for a long time, six, 12 months, when everyone needs to wear a mask. They're disposable because there's evidence that the reusable masks, unless you're really diligent about washing them, aren't really effective. Mm. So it's something that's a consumable. So I just I think there's going to be a lot of demand as businesses come back, reopen their doors. You know, they're going to have to have these for potentially customers, definitely their employees. And so I think it'll be something we do for at least the next year, as long as there's demand. And your timing was terrific on that, uh, you know, just ahead of the curve before the shortages suddenly kicked in to have that vision, I think was was amazing. And of course, that's something we all aspire to having, but I've always said, and this was part of my own pivot several years ago when I rebranded, but just to recognize that when people tell you what they want to pay you for, unless you're an idiot, you start to sell it. (laughs) That's part of entrepreneurship 101. And you really looked at that and said, okay, bam, let's go manufacture it. Yeah. And sales has to sell the future. You know, you have to sell things oftentimes that you don't have yet, but you at least know you can deliver on. Um, You can't make it up. I can't start taking pre-orders for a flying car. But if I do my due diligence and know, okay, this is a thing we can do, you just got to get out there and sell it. And then once the sales come in, you'll, you'll figure it out. You know, when you're in the pool, that's when you learn how to swim. Yeah. So let's talk a, a little bit about that uh, learning curve, learning to swim. You had to learn the language of a whole different industry. I mean, medical supplies are quite different from mobile device accessories. So talk to me a little bit about that. So yeah, there were two sides of the learning. Well, maybe there were like a thousand sides of the learning curve, but there, <laughs> there's two main More buckets. More like a sphere. Right. Yeah, there's a whole sphere. So one side is the product spec, regulation, what can you say, not say, what stamps do you need on the box, all that stuff. And Dennis is is really the one that knows how to dive into that detail. I am not good at that. And I've learned that and I stay out of it. I, I normally just make assumptions and I read the first paragraph summary and then I, you know, I move on with conclusions, which is a terrible way to handle that. That's why you have a dentist. So Dennis really, right. that's it. You, you need people in your life that know how to do those things. Dennis, he headed that up. He wrapped his arms around it really quickly gave me the confidence that we knew what we were doing on that side and that we weren't going to you know, do something illegal or blatantly wrong. So once we understood that side, it was then kind of passed to my side of the house. I'm on the sales and marketing side. And I had to figure out, well, then how do we sell it? How do we message it? Who's going to buy it? And I also realized that I've never done this before. And it's going to be kind of slow to figure it out myself. So I went really wide with my network. I put out feelers to everyone that I knew and business groups I belong to, LinkedIn. I hadn't posted on Facebook in 10 years. I posted on Facebook. Just spreading the word that being transparent, we have a need. Our company is down. Our business is down. We're not going to pretend like it's not. I've got 30 people I want to keep employed. And this is what we're doing. Who can help me understand it? Who can connect me to people that might want to buy it? And I started there. And I, I just remember being on the phone like 12 hours a day for the probably another week or two 
And I just slowly started to put the bits together. Okay, these are the different types of buyers. These are the prices people are paying. This is where there is stock. This is where there isn't stock. And then from there, we started to make initial sales. So leaning on other people, that was the key. I think that transparency is so critical and it requires to be able to step out of the way of ego, which is the the real Achilles heel for so many leaders, I think, feeling like, well, they have to know everything. They have to seem like the smartest person. They have to be the one to ask for help, to ask for insight, to admit that there are problems that we're trying to solve, et cetera, is a display of weakness. And that's so not the case. When you trust your people, they trust you and you have those networks to lean on. And you can say, here's what the truth is. Here's what I need. Here's what I'm asking for. And to be able to take in all of that information, all the introductions people can make, all the recommendations people can make, and just to to crowdsource that kind of information requires a humility that I think is so empowering, contrary to much popular belief, that it, it seems like you learned to leverage that, uh, maybe you didn't learn, you just had it, but you, you were able to leverage that to incredible lengths, and clearly you were successful with it. Was it difficult? You know, I had to learn this lesson the hard way before. So mm. and I'm thankful I did. How so? So Dennis and I had a business before this. We were we started it in college. We ran it in our 20s. And we were the guys that had all the answers. And we were the smartest guys in the room all the time. And our initial business was very successful at the time. And so we felt like we knew how to do it, do things other people couldn't do. So why should we listen to other people? And that business failed. And we pivoted into this business. Into the mobile outfitters. Uh, the mobile outfitters okay. business, yeah. And there was a solid you know, year of rock bottom where you know, we had an office, we laid off our employees, we had no heat, we were in debt, we weren't taking paychecks, and we were you know, working seven days a week. And that'll humble you up real quick. <laughs> and uh, the only way you get out of that is to realize maybe you don't have the answers and you know, maybe you do need to listen to other people. And, Maybe people have been there before, you know, in just about any scenario you're in. Sure. So that, I'm very grateful I had that experience. I had success and then failure very early in my life. I'm now in my mid-30s and, you know, having that in my 20s was great timing for me because you have less to lose, you know, just out of college, you know, it doesn't really matter what happens, you'll be fine. So I think that taught me that. And there's this interesting dichotomy as an entrepreneur, what makes you so special is that you can do everything. You're willing to do the books, sell the thing, make the thing, ship the thing, do the customer service phone call, file your tax return. You'll do it all. And that becomes your superpower. But then as your business grows and you hire people, it becomes your weakness. It's like your kryptonite because if you still try and do everything and still try and think you should be or know how to do everything, you can't scale because you can't delegate or you kind of delegate but don't. And that drives people crazy. So, you know, I think. Having been there before, having run small companies before, having enough employees to learn that you have to run it totally differently has taught me when you do anything new, you don't know anything, just find the people that know it and listen to them and then do what they say, or at least listen to what they say, filter it and adapt it for your situation. So I think that's how we could quickly snap into that mode because I didn't have to learn the lesson. I just had to do what I had done before. And there's a few things that you just brought up that triggered various thoughts in my head. Number one is that you mentioned running a small company, but the fact is this that's not different from when you're in charge of a large company. I work with people who are CEOs, CFOs, where they moved up from whatever their former role was in the company 
And because they're so used to doing that other job, that even though technically somebody else has been hired to do that job, it's hard to let go when you know that you know how to do it right and to, to not micromanage or to relinquish some of those uh, some of those tasks. And then you sit there and you're resentful because you're exhausted and you are burning out and there's not enough time to do the things you need to be doing. And you're almost creating your own misery at that point. You need to be able to let go. And if you don't have people you can trust to let things go to them, then there's a deeper problem involved. There's conversations you need to be able to have with yourself and with others. And you have to start asking yourself why, right? Who, who's the, the cause of the lack of trust in the end? So am I off on this or does this sound familiar? No, 100%. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Yes, if you can't trust someone that you delegate to to do the work, you probably have the wrong person. And yes, I agree that if you kind of delegate but think you can do it better, then you have to ask yourself, if I can do it better, what is it that I need to teach that person so that they can do it the way that I've already figured out how to do it? And you know, teach the man to fish, not don't just give the man a fish. And it's hard because it takes longer, significantly longer. And I think a lot of people get wrapped up in that. Like, it's just faster if I do it myself. Sure, today, in that moment, it's faster to do that one task yourself. But what if someone else could do that task in the future all the time and you never had to do it? Think about how much time you would save. And I have an advisor who has a good line. He says, don't blame the people, blame the process. So if you're involved in teaching someone something, there's a process they need to follow, whether that's the steps or just general framework on how they should be thinking through something. If you haven't taken what's in your brain and made it into a thing that anyone can follow, I don't think you've really done your job as a leader. You've just kind of helped brought people on and then told them what to do. And then if you weren't there, they wouldn't know what to do. You're not leading. You know, they're just right. following you. So I think there are a lot of lessons in there that entrepreneurs have to learn as they scale or they don't have to learn, but it, it'll just become their biggest barrier to scaling. Right. And I heard um, a friend of mine said years ago that there's a difference. People often misconflate two different things, the difference between humility and humiliation. And humiliation strips away dignity, but humility restores it. And being able to say, this is not my role, or I'm not as good at this, or I made a mistake, or I need some help. Those are all things that are humble. But when you have that transparency, you share that trust, people, you raise your esteem in people's eyes. It doesn't undermine it unless you're really with the wrong people who would see that as a weakness. Then you have deeper problems to contend with. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah. You know, yesterday I made a big mistake on an email blast for an organization, I, a nonprofit that I help out with. And I sent an email blast. It went to a mix of members and non-members. It was only supposed mm. to go to non-members. No one really would have known. Like, you know, they, the people that I work with weren't on that email chain. They would have no idea. I get all the responses. But as soon as I figured out I did that, I wrote everyone that I work with there. And I said, I made a huge mistake. Here's what happened. Here's why it happened. Here's what I've done to fix it so it doesn't happen again. And I'm sorry. And I will handle whatever fallout there is from that because it was, you know, the message was really confusing because it was geared towards non-members. Um, and so I think that transparency, people know, people know things, you know, whether you tell them or not, whether you think you're hiding it on your face or not, people know a lot more than you think they do. And if they have inklings that you're doing something, but you're pretending like you're not, they're just not going to trust you. I, I really think people think they're better actors than they are, you know. People are really smart. They read the tiniest expressions on your face. 
You have no idea you're even making them, but people <laughs> see them and they get feelings from them. And I think that's what creates this, you know, as long as you see someone, you're like, don't trust that person. I don't know why. You know, there's a reason. It's not just because it's a random thought. It's there's little expressions or indicators that you had in your history that prove you shouldn't trust that person. So I believe full transparency is how you definitely earn trust. And I agree that you make a mistake. Who cares? Everybody makes mistakes. Learn from it, move on, and everybody can trust each other and get along better together. Absolutely. If you can all learn from each other's mistakes, so much the better because there's so many new mistakes to make. Why make the same one twice? Yeah. In fact, in our company, we tell everybody, nobody here gets fired for making a mistake because we don't want people to be afraid of making a mistake. It's actually, you know, like Edison said, I didn't, I didn't make a mistake. I didn't fail. I just found 10,000 ways it didn't work. You know, finding out how something doesn't work is just as important as a step towards how it does work because you're eliminating options. So we tell people, you're never going to get fired for making a mistake here. But if you do make a mistake, what you will get fired for is not learning from it, not bringing it to the surface, not making sure it doesn't happen in the future. That's what's valuable about a mistake. Right, right. From there, let's shift a little bit, but as it's actually a good springboard, persuasion and influence. I mean, it wasn't just your idea. You had to talk a whole bunch of people and you had employees. You, you've got a board, I'm assuming. You've got a lot of investors, et cetera. Who'd you have to talk into making this massive shift? And what did they think? So initially I had to be talked into it. So we'll start there. So by Dennis. So it was Dennis's okay. initial idea. And, you know, while I am very much in the visionary mindset, you know, it is normally something that I like to do, think in the future and find a new direction and then head there. I guess it's an adaptation. I really fight myself from jumping from thing to thing because I really like doing that, but I have seen the detriment of jumping from thing to thing. So I like to be very focused. And when we pick a path, I like to fully dedicate all of our effort to it and not, you know, say yes to too many things. And then you die by death of a thousand cuts. So Dennis had this inkling. He brought the idea and I initially kind of fought it because I was afraid that if we get deep into a new thing, When our core business needs us, we won't be available to serve it. And so then you're kind of trading, you're stepping over a dollar to pick up a nickel. That was my fear. So over a few days, we continued to talk about it. He investigated the supply side. I started thinking about the demand side. And at the same time, our core business just continued to decline. So for me, I then had enough data. Okay, let's not be foolish and just think everything's going to be fine. We need to take a step. And so then I took that step. I was on board. And when I'm on board with something, I'm like, I'm all in. I don't like kind of do things. You know, I'm, I'm just full on 24-7. I'm in. Just fully committed. It's just my personality. So then the people I had to convince were the people I needed to help me. Not so much our staff. Our staff look up to us as painting the future. You know, where are we going? They very much rely on us for that. And I do believe something you said earlier if I had a team where we brought this to them and explained why, and they said, that's not for me, well, then I got the wrong people at a company like ours. We have a very entrepreneurial company. We already do several different things. We have a pet products company. We have a mobile company. Now we have this PPE company. So we foster that culture to begin with. So we didn't get any pushback from our team. They were all on board. If that's what we have to do to save the company, that's what we're going to do. So that, that part was easy, but because we spent the hard part was building the culture that made that easy. So then the people I had to convince were the people I needed to help me. 
So I needed to sell these masks. I had never sold masks before. And then there's other people who are going through the same pandemic who are just as worried about their own business or just as busy dealing with whatever this is bringing them that I'm now, now knocking on the door asking for help. And, you know, it's like get in line. Everybody needs help right now. So the way I convinced them, I believe it was full transparency. You know, I came out of the gate saying, my business is down 98%. I have 30 people I desperately want to keep employed. And that's 30 people domestically, but you have, if I'm just to qualify, there's 800 different retailers around the world. Yeah, there's 800 retailers. There's 3,000 people that get up and put a mobile outfitter shirt on every day to work at a retail store, or, you know, in a warehouse in a country. We're in 55 different countries. And I have an obligation to them, to my staff, to keep this thing going, no matter what that takes. And I'm not going to rest my head on my pillow if I didn't exhaust every single option to get through this. And if I exhaust every option and we don't make it, then that's life. That's business. So be it. I can live with that. But if I look back and say, you know, I could have done this thing and I didn't, I won't be able to sleep at night. I have an obligation to those people. So I started reaching out with that message. I reached out to my network, people that I know. I said, who do you know? that I started with hospitals because it's like the obvious thing. Sure. You know, it's actually not who we sell the mask to now, but that's where I started. Let's sell to hospitals. They obviously need these things. So I just reached out. Who do you know that sells to hospitals, that works in a hospital? I went to our staff. Hey guys, we have no idea what we're doing, but we have masks. So who do you know that works in a hospital? Do you have a sister that's a nurse? Does your friend, I don't care if they sweep the floors in the hospital. I need people that work in hospitals to understand. And this is why our business is down 98%. We may not make it through if we don't do this. That's the message I put out there. And it's right on my LinkedIn profile. I have just a whole thing on, on what's going on in the business. And people were very responsive to that. You know, They felt, I, I guess, not an obligation, but an urge to help. And you know, I always told people, what can I do to help you? Is there anything I can do to help you? Can I donate masks? Can I give you a discount for your business for, for things that you need? Um, and I started there. And then I just started getting connected to hospitals and learning the ins and outs. That's awesome. And, and people respond. You know, When they sense authenticity, they respond to that. That's to me the difference between having a captive audience and having a captivated audience. Right? The captive audience is one that is sort of stuck and has no choice. The captivated audience is the one who says, I want to hear more keep talking, even though they could leave. And I think that's amazing. So you know, I want to congratulate you on your success on this. And I want to thank you for, for having the vision, because frankly, it is one of the most needed services, products for that matter, and services in the current environment. So thank you for, for making that pivot and, and trying to keep all of us safe and healthy in this uh, era of the lovely COVID-19. So Eric, tell us, how can more people learn about you and your organization? So I think, you know, relative to this topic, you can definitely go to our website. It's PPE, like personal protection equipment, ppe.moutfitters.com. So we spun up an e-commerce website. You can buy small quantities, use your credit card, just get some for yourself. And of course, spreading the word is the greatest recognition you can give us. You know, if you know people that would benefit from it, we're happy to donate if there's an opportunity to donate to someone that is in need. But those are the things that are helping us. If I can hit our goal and we can keep our people employed. I really believe entrepreneurship is the backbone of this country. It's really what drives the economy. It's not the huge companies. It's the tons and tons and tons of small companies, 10 employees, two employees, 50 employees. And we fall into that category. And so I greatly appreciate that. And that link is where you can learn more about our story. We have a little page up there about 
how we got into this with pictures of the whole team. So it'd be awesome if you check that out. That's great. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that we need to know? No, I really love being on the show. I love talking to you, Laura. And uh, you know, this is this is a thing that's in progress. Like we're six weeks young. We're three weeks since we made our first sale. So this is changing daily. So I will keep you posted if there's any cool news or things that we do that maybe there's another pivot coming. Who knows? I've, I'm not going to discount what might come in the future because I just can't. I, I read a cool quote, if you're driving through the fog, don't make a left turn. So I'm not trying to predict. <laughs> don't turn fast now. for sure. Right. Don't turn fast. Just day by day. I am just watching what's going on and trying to learn the most I can. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us again, Eric. And remember, for everybody out there who's listening, if you want to download our quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sacola, and you are listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sacola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.